1: I want to speak this morning on a message called Making Him Known. Because you know, we can do all that we want to our with our facilities here, but really what's the bedrock of what we do is, is truly to make him known. A gentleman by the name of Tom Shepherd wrote, Evangelism, that's just what we do. And I got asking myself that question, is evangelism for believers in Christ? Is that really what we do? I read some statistics a while ago that said that if we could stop all the births, in other words, no one is allowed to be born and we could stop all the deaths no no one's allowed to die no one being born no one dying and we just took the existing population of whatever it is 7 billion people or whatever we just took that existing population and then we released Christians into that population to share their faith at the rate they're sharing their faith even now how long would it take to reach a population with no births, no deaths just you're there it would take 2,000 years to reach those people for Christ. So I wonder if evangelism is something that is what we do. Another person said this, if you could take all the people in the world and you lined them up right in front of this pulpit, single file, going out that back door, how long would that line be of just lost people in the world? people who don't know Christ. And of course, it's hard to know those statistics because only the Lord knows that Lamb's Book of Life up there. But if we could, how long would the line of lost people be? A hundred miles long? A thousand miles long? Statistics tell us that that line would circle the globe, not once, not twice, but some 15 times. And if you got in my little old beach car and we began to drive to get to the end of the line... By the time we reach the end of the line, the end of the line would have grown another 30,000 miles longer. We're just not reaching people for Christ. So evangelism may be something that we're not doing and that we could and should be doing. Now, this message this morning is not to put you on some heavy guilt trip, but it is to perhaps give us a little bit of a wake-up call. So for this morning, let's lean into this message and see what does God want me to do in the area of evangelism. For some of you that are our guests that are maybe wanting to know what is Evangelism or International Baptist Church all about, it might be good for me to tell you what our simple, very practical purpose statement is. I really like it. Of course, you have International Baptist Church. Often our people say IBC. Well, in-house we might say IBC because we know that. But we don't really use that very often because people on the outside doesn't know what IBC is, let alone IBM or maybe even BBD. But for that matter... International Baptist Church comes with this as our purpose statement. We want to include you in the family of God. And of course we do that by coming alongside you, loving you, serving you, communicating the message of salvation by faith alone to you, hoping you would come to faith in Christ and then include you. And then next is to build you to maturity in Christ. We don't just want you to be saved and have fire insurance only from hell. We want you to grow and know the joy there is to become like Christ. And then we want to do more than just have us be strong in the Lord. We know that God has left us on planet Earth to communicate that message with others. So now we want to commission you for service locally and globally. So that would be our purpose statement because truly, at least on paper, we want to make him known to other people. And that's a very great uh, purpose statement because it follows Scripture. If you'd like, you can follow along even in your worship folder that you have in front of you in that outline. Here's what it says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And that's the first commandment. That's a good one. And then it says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why that is so good is because that passage talks about why we're to love the Lord and why we're to love our neighbors Because God tells us to, because we really love him with all of our heart. But then we also have a vision statement that comes off of another verse or passage that's found in Matthew. That says that's the great commission. That we're to go and to make disciples of all nations and then to teach them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have a little bit more. Now that tells us a little bit more how are we to love the Lord and love our neighbors. And so to help our people out, we want them to know, and this is really helpful for some of you that have been a part of our church just recently. Yeah, we got this great purpose statement, include them, build them, commission them. But how do we go about doing that? Well, we've kind of reduced it to five little simple words. One is simply that we want to encourage participation in God's family so you can be known and you can love and be loved and grow, have a family, a safe place where you can worship the Lord. And then secondly, we also want you to go beyond just encourage participation. We want you to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to know that uh, it's all about him and not about us. And then we want to edify you to the maturity in Christ. And, of course, we want to equip you for service. And finally, we want to evangelize the lost globally and locally as well for world evangelism. That's really like what we would hope to be able to do. And I hope that might be it. For some of you, it might be simply this. We want to bring them in, build them up. Train them and send them out to do that again. Well, that's where I hope that we will be. And I think that's really where we're headed. For some of you at the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, it might help you to remember this wonderful flow. Listen carefully. Watch, logically. If I really love the Lord authentically, genuinely, and sincerely, that should bring about a change in my heart. And what that would be now is if I really love Him then I really would love the people that he loves. And he loves the world. So I would love others. And so some people are working on that. I really love the Lord. But now we need to take it to the next level. And that is, if I really love the Lord, I'm going to love whom he loves, which is the world. And some of you are really getting there. But now we need to take it to another step. If I really love the Lord, then I'll love whom he loves, which would be my neighbors, others. But if I really love them, then what would I want about them? I would want them to love the Lord. And to do that, I would want them to come to faith alone in Christ, place their faith, grow in the Lord, and do the same thing with others. So I love Him, therefore I'll love others. And if I love others properly, then I'll do it by helping them come, become a fully obedient worshiper of God. Now that's really making them known. That's the bedrock of our church here. And we're learning to do that as a family. And I want everyone to be a part of this wonderful journey as we're discovering how important that is together well let's go a little bit further what we're learning here because i think this might be helpful i got other statistics that said this they were interviewing people surveying people what do you think the purpose of church is what what, why do you go to church what what do you what do you think church is all about and it came down to two statistics 89 percent of the people responded this way church is a place that's supposed to take care of my needs and the needs of my family now, when I got thinking about that, I could think now why so many churches are really launching out into what might be known as felt needs. Now, I'm not totally against that. I think that is biblical. Jesus went after a lot of people that had felt needs and took care of their felt needs. But sometimes we end it with that. So now we become church hoppers and we do the church hop, going from church to church to see which one can do more to meet my needs and the needs of my family. And so that creates churches and leadership that are under the tension to produce more felt needs uh, uh, solutions for people. Do you know that 89% said that? 11% said, no, church is a place for me to come to worship the Lord, to know the word for the purpose of making him known to those who are lost. Now I got thinking. Where are we as a church? Are we part of the 89%? Or are we a part of the 11%? And I can't judge you or, or you me maybe. But I can say this. Each one of us have our own reason for going to church. And how much better it would be that we would have our motive for going to church to be a biblical one. And we might more be part of that 11% that says going to church for me. Is to really worship him. Learn his book. And then share that gospel with other people. And I have to tell you folks that are on the outside that are now looking in, so to speak, we're working on it, folks. That's where we want to be. And I'll tell you that we'll properly meet, not just the felt needs of people, but we'll do more than that. We will meet their real needs. Well, now the question: This is why should we do all of this? Well, I'm going to reduce it maybe to three simple little answers that we ought to consider if we really want to make Christ known. Why should we do that? Number one, because God loves people. I spoke to that a moment ago. That God really loves people. John 3:16, in my opinion, happens to be probably the most quoted or memorized verse in the Bible. How many of you have ever watch television and while you're watching a sports program, maybe off in the end zone or maybe on the 50-yard line, someone is holding up a big sign that says John 3:16. Have you ever seen that before? We Would you raise your hand? Great. I could talk to some people that one time kind of went in and out of church and ask them if they have a verse they've got memorized. Most of them, I can start out by saying, was it this one? For God so loved the world. And boom, they carried right on through to the end. That's a great verse. But think about it with me for a moment. What does that verse really say? For God so loved the world. Totally. Man, woman, boy, and girl. For God so loved the world. That includes you. But now how did he do that? That he gave his only son. Not to start a Christian religion. But he gave his son. Actually gave up his son. Sacrificed his son. And that's where you get the cross experience. Where Jesus gave up his life. And he rose again. And it says that whoever you are. If you believe in him. You wouldn't perish. But you'd have everlasting life. It doesn't say whoever behaves. It doesn't even say whoever believes. It doesn't say whoever believes and behaves. It does say this. Whoever believes in Christ would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm so glad that the Lord really loves us just the way we are. Look at this other verse. It says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise but is long-suffering toward us, willing that none should perish. He doesn't want any one of us to perish. So if you're sitting right here and you're worried about what's going to happen to you when you die, I want you to know that you are in a world right now that is loved by God and God loves you and He doesn't want you to spend one second. We could talk about hell and the flames and the pain and all that for all eternity, but that's not it. He doesn't want you to spend one second separated from Him. And so that's why he gave his son, and oh, what a beautiful thing, but we all are. Sometimes I like to use the illustration that we are all in a boat, In this boat is a boat known as sin, this is the world is in this sin boat. And because of all of that, we're in a sinking ship. Have any of you ever been in a boat, whatever size boat it was in, and you were far from land and that boat was sinking or began to sink? I hope you've never gone through that the folks that have been here in our church have heard me tell the story about fishing one time and our boat was inundated with water and all of a sudden we were sinking out in the beautiful Gulf of Mexico outside of the Florida Keys and it was late in the afternoon and we thought we would then probably even drown out there. That's that part of the story. But that's what the world is. But I want you to know that the Lord says, I know you're in a sinking ship. I know you're going to die separated from me. So what he does, in a sense, he sends a savior Well, let's put it back into more of a practical illustration. Let's say you are in a sinking ship. Let's say you go on the pride of America and you start circling the islands and you're separated from these islands and the boat goes down and alongside you comes someone in a raft or maybe a little lifeboat and they look at you and they say, oh, we got to help you. You're going to drown. And so they offer you the opportunity to reach up and they'll take you by the hand. No works on your part. Just reaching out and they'll take you into the boat. How many of you really would say, No, 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 no. I know you want to help me, but you know the weather's kind of nice, the water's cool, I can swim, and I'm only about 500 miles from the next island over there. I think I could make it. Now you know that's ridiculous. But let's put it back in the spiritual realm. There are a lot of people today, first of all, they don't even believe they're drowning. They don't even realize how lost they are. And the few that might think that they're drowning think that they still can swim their own way to eternity with God by doing any amount of either spiritual good work, religious or liturgical work or maybe even some good deeds in the community and none of that will ever save them. And so our Savior is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and he's reaching out to you and me. Now some of you are saying, yeah, I already know all that. I know that kind of stuff. I know all of that. But let me take it back to our message. Our message really is evangelism is what we do. I'm grateful that the Lord loves me but you know what? Thank God, thank God, thank God. I'm in the lifeboat. My question to you is, do you know that God loves your neighbor? He loves your fellow worker? He loves your classmate? He loves your family? God loves them, And God wants us to make that message of salvation known to him. That's really making him known. You can talk all about wonderful Jesus. You can talk about his virgin birth. In a sense, you can even talk about Easter and resurrection. But if you don't talk about what all that means... And why he did it so they could have eternal life by faith alone. All that is is pretty good theology, but nothing on soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. And that's where we need to be. The cutting edge. A little bit different than other churches that like to talk all about Jesus and merely praise Jesus. And maybe even teach Jesus' book. But we neglect to tell them about why Jesus came and how they need to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So he's called us to really reach out to other people. He loved us. I hope you've trusted Christ. I hope you've gotten into his life raft by believing that it's by faith alone. And if you have, now we do it to others. Once we're in that life raft and we had our family go down in that ship and they're now trying to swim in that black water between Kauai and maybe Maui, this island, that island, floating out through the channel and we're now in that lifeboat. I can tell you right now, I would do everything I could to paddle that lifeboat to whatever family member I had that was on that ship that was now dangling their legs in the black waters off of our island. That's similar to what we need to do. We're in the ship and we need to paddle as fast as we can to those people and our family and do what we can to get them to trust us to get into our boat by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the second reason we should be concerned about outreach. Because Jesus commands us to reach out and to make him known. These are very familiar verses to those of us who know Christ, but to those of you that are new on this, look at how powerful these are. Look at how it says in one translation, And he, Jesus, said to them, Go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now that word preach doesn't mean you have to have a pulpit and stand on a box. It does mean to open your mouth and speak unto people the plan of salvation clearly and simply. And to go everywhere to do that. I like the way the message puts it. A little bit more of a paraphrase. It says, Then Jesus said, Go into all the world. Go everywhere. And announce the message of good news. God's good news to one and all. In 1 Thessalonians 2.4, get your pens ready. We're going to do something special with this verse. It says this, But as we've been approved of God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tries our hearts. Now here's where you want your pen. Circle the word speak. All right? Then find the word pleasing. Whip your pen around that word. Then find the word God the second time in the verse. Circle that. Now just read the three words that you circled. What are we supposed to do in order to honor the Lord? It says, speak pleasing God. And the best way we can speak pleasing God in this verse is to tell other people how to have eternal life because he has entrusted us with that gospel message. Now folks, the great commandment, which is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind, and... To love our neighbor, that, and the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, those are called Great Commission, Great Commandment. Those are not the great suggestions. It's not an option to us. Now, folks, what I'm about to say, I know some of you that are reacting to dominant preachers that'll preach hellfire and all that, you do need to listen to this. That there are issues with God that is not a suggestion. It is not just a principle you might consider, it's not something that you want to work through and keep processing. Sometimes God just plainly boils it all down, you need to do this. Now, if you had a child and you told him to do something, whether it's to take out the trash, wash the car, empty the dishwasher, whatever it might be, and you told them to do it, you you know they have the ability to do that. You've taught them how to do that. You've empowered them to do that and they then came up with 15 reasons why they wouldn't do it or couldn't do it. How would that make you feel? First you'd be you'd grieve, you'd feel sorry, you'd you'd wonder what's going on, and then maybe there'd be a little bit of anger in this thing because you told them to do this and now the bottom line is this. They simply disobeyed you. And really when you move into disobedience, you're now swimming with sharks called rebellion. You're rebelling especially if you know to do it and for whatever reason you're trying to make reasons of why you're not going to do it, you're now swimming with sharks of rebellion. So in your own mind, think. This is something that I need to be very much a part of. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's a commandment from the Lord that this is something that we should do and how powerful that is. Now let's go to number three. The third reason we should consider making him known is because the church will grow it is God's will that will happen. I love it. It is God's will that will happen. Look at the verses we have here for you. These are great verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, why does God give the increase? Why? Very simple. Because growth is God's will. Look at the next verse. And not holding, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So increasing is from God. Why should we grow? Because it's God's will that we grow. And then I like the last verse, Mark, Mark, Matthew 16, 18. And Jesus said, I will build my church. Who builds it? Jesus builds it. Why does he build his church? Because growth is God's will we'll look up here for a moment, if you will. We have here in this church, we are a body. We're not an organization, we're an organism. An organism is designed by God to be healthy. He provides what's necessary to be healthy. And when we're healthy, then growth becomes a natural thing. We don't have to force growth, we don't have to make growth. It normally will happen. I've shared a little while ago, but we've got a couple of these hanging baskets of tomatoes that we've, we've done is upside down tomato baskets. And we Carol got these things out of little seeds and we put the little seed in there and it's grown. And now we've got some fruit. We've eaten some of these beautiful tomatoes on there. The birds and probably some rats got some of the others. But they're just kind of out there. Now, some plants are really growing leaps and bounds And we're so excited. We're going to be gone for about two and a half weeks on this mission trip. And there's a couple people that are going to stay in our home. I don't want to embarrass them right now. I don't have their permission to tell you who they are. But they're going to stay in our house. Do you know what they're going to get? They're going to get delicious tomatoes. They're still about this big and they're green. But by the time we're done, we've done the work and they're going to eat the fruit. So they're going to have a great time with those tomatoes. Now I have to tell you, we are sharing that testimony. Do you know Stephanie? Now I can tell you this story because she's in the mainland on that mission trip. She came to Carol about two weeks ago before they left and they took pictures of the same tomato plants that Carol put on, on, the, on the lanai for all of you to take home to grow. When she showed us the pictures, her tomato plants were five to eight feet tall. They were huge. Stephanie said she had to get so far back to get the whole tomato plant in there to get a picture of this thing. She's so proud of those tomatoes. It's such a huge tomato plant. The only thing is, here it is, She doesn't have one tomato on her plants. So I'm wondering, we could fill this church with people. But I wonder how much spiritual fruit, a changed life. Because here's what's going to happen. Listen, and I'm not busting on Stephanie, you know that. But let's say those plants never produce a tomato. There's no seeds. Eventually those tomato plants will die and there's nothing left. Our little ones may not be a big tomato plant we got some of the juiciest red tomatoes and you put some little salt and pepper on that and you bite into that and it looks like you just got blood flowing down. you. Just, that's ugly, isn't it? And you eat that. So we might not have big plants, but we got big fruit. And so God here says, I'm more interested sometimes in the fruit that you're producing than how many people you can pack into concrete and glass. But that fruit only comes When we allow him to grow us when we're spiritually healthy. So do you have any sin that somewhere has creeped into your life? Is there any, so to speak, bug of Satan that's chiseling away your intimacy with God? Chewing it away. Where that now God says, I want you to grow. You you should grow. You can grow. you got my spirit in you. You're part of my family. You can grow. You can grow. But you've got something that's just hindering you. I don't know. But it's God's will. That we grow. Now, there are some unbiblical excuses for not wanting to grow. You can talk to some people in some churches, they say, you know, God's not interested in numbers. Well, there's one whole book of the Bible that's called what, everyone? Okay, and you know, of course, the Lord never knew how many disciples he had, did he? Sure, he did. He had 12. Now, I know one was a rummy, but he had 12. Judas, rummy. All right? He had numbers. So yes, numbers are somewhat important because it's a bit of accountability. It helps us to know and identify people and where they are in all this journey. So we have to kind of count some. But we're not driven by numbers because, listen, if I want to draw a crowd here, in this, right here on our property, I can tell you how I can draw a crowd on Sunday. I can blow up a building and have fire everywhere. Everybody would stop and they'd come over and look. But that's not what God wants us to do, to draw a crowd. He wants us to produce disciples. And that's all part of it. Here's another excuse you hear. Our church wants quality, not quantity. Now that does sound pretty good. We do want quality, and we would like a little bit of quantity too. Let me ask this question. How many of you come from a family that there are three or more of you as a brothers and sisters? How many of you come from a family that there are three or more? Would you raise your hand? Let me look 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 at the big families we have. Okay. Let's say you go out camping, maybe over at Bellows. And it's now time to pack up, and you've got the car loaded, and you look at all your kids, and you have three kids, but one, two, oh, we're missing one. Well, that's okay. We got two, and we'll just have quality, okay? And how, how you know, we all joke about that, but how would you like to been the one that they left behind? It is about quality, but it can also be about quantity too, because it's not about us four no more. Shut the door. And the last one is large churches are impersonal. And here's my response to that. You're right. They could be impersonal. But I will also tell you this, that sometimes large churches become large, it's not because they're impersonal, but they have found a biblical mechanism where that people somehow, in the largeness of it all, still feel community or touched or connected with other people. So some people say we have to grow smaller, huh? While we grow larger, huh? See how that works?
0: This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.